welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheen, joined by my trusty co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how are you doing on this 4th of July? Just running up that hill, my guy. Doing good. <laughs> uh, Dave is the master of puppets for this show, and uh, we're going to be talking about Stranger Things, Volume 2, uh, Season 4, Volume 2, which is just uh, strange to think that Stranger Things is... I don't know, I guess kind of over? Well, we'll be talking about that yeah. as we uh, get to the review. Um, just to also, like, did we need a, vo- a volume two to this? Just to, We'll talk mm. more about that as well. Uh, we have a, a, a little bit of music to talk about. Another show called The Bear, as well as Emmy Predictions. So hit that subscribe if you're watching on YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod or follow us any way that you consume your podcast. Dave, let's start, though, with a concert that you went to this weekend. Joey Badass, another hip-hop concert in the books for you how did this one go yeah saw joy badass for the fifth time in concert but this was my first time seeing him as a solo headliner on tour i saw him at beast coast you know where he was one of the headliners and then i saw him at the meadows and i saw him open up for wiz khalifa and asap rocky way back in 2013 and of course, I also saw him open up for Logic in 2017. So this is my first time actually seeing him as the solo headliner, which I think was kind of a cool to experience just because ultimately, 90-minute show, 25-plus songs, really great if you're a Joey Battis fan. You have to hear a lot of those tracks. Also because, famously, the 1999-2000 tour from Joey Badass, uh Joey Badass's long-anticipated third solo album, 2000, is not yet released. It was supposed to come out back on June, was it June 24th, whenever that was? Yeah, when Drake dropped. Right, and then now it's coming out July 22nd. He made a joke about it on stage that like he did not push it back because of Drake. He would not have done that. Um, he had, of course, alluded to sample clearance issues online earlier. So, in a sense, it's a bit of a... I guess the last set list of its kind or soon to be on, on tour still. So other people experience this too, but it, it was kind of cool to see like the last, like, you know, Joey's first 10 years of his career set list. It's also funny to think that 27 years old and he's already been in the game uh, 10 years, his 1999 mixtape, the debut is from 2012. Like dudes have been at it a long time, started at such a young age. And, you know, I think, he kind of talked about this too, kind of him coming back to music after basically being off the grid musically for some time and to be able to sell out this tour and have all these fans made him feel really good. And I think there's a lot to that, you know, like he's more well known right now for being on Power and Mr. Robot and the star of the Oscar winning live action short film. You know, he's not been uh, rapping too much apart uh, solo wise, you know, apart from the Beast Coast stuff a few years ago. So to hear him jump back into this as we were getting this album rollout was really fun. And I also was kind of struck seeing the show, seeing how many younger fans he has. Like I said, 10-year-plus career. There were people there that were underage. You can tell by the X's on their hands. It's like, wow, you guys were dumb young <laughs> when Joey <laughs> Battis' career started, but you still are, uh, you discovered the music. I think that's really cool to see for someone who's, never been on a major label and he came up making very traditional hip-hop uh traditionalist old school music and just kind of see him break through um generationally generationally 
in such a way, I think is really awesome and speaks well to, I think, his, his future. Um, but, you know, he's a great performer. Um, he has just tons of bangers, and uh, yeah. people were very excited. You know, I think the way this, this tour is set up, 1999-2000 tour, he does it kind of like a chronological progression through all of his projects to this point. So he started with all these 1999 tracks, then he went to his Summer Nights mixtape, then he went to his debut album Before the Money, then All American Badass, then Beast Coast album, and then the single's already out for 2000. Really cool idea to, to kind of set it up that way and uh, just kind of like hear the evolution of Joey, right? Someone who's traditional boom bap rapper and is now not that. Of course, his closing song, his biggest song is Devastated, which is anything but dusty ass rap. So uh, I think it, it, that, that was also kind of cool just to go back <laughs> through 1999 and hear like Hard Knock and hear uh, Waves and Righteous Minds. And of course, his biggest song off that survival tactics uh, was the first probably big pop of the show where everyone got really hyped. Um, the Capital Steve's line, tell the bass god, don't quit his day job. Still had a really good response in the crowd. It's really fun to be with. Uh, Paper Trails, up before the money, did really big too. Christ Conscious was was huge. Uh, when he did Rockabye Baby from All American Badass, um, the line, if you got the guts, guts say fuck Donald Trump. Another one, big response. Uh, but I also, I was kind of struck too, uh, the Joey Badass feature on the XXS Tentacion album, question mark, he played that and all, those young kids, uh, fucking love that song, man. Oh yeah. I, I guess that's to be expected <laughs> how popular X is with younger, younger people. Um, mm -hmm. but they ate that shit up and actually in the process of me seeing the, the first stop of this tour, I got to see Joey perform his new single, Where I Belong, his first performance of that song, because wow. it just came out that day. And did it, hit? Uh, it, it did hit. Yeah, that's a good song. I like that one. He played The Highs and the Lows, a new song with Chance. He played his feature on the West Side Gun song, 327. I'd imagine some of these songs are probably going to get cut from the set list as more 2000 songs present themselves. The one Beast Coast song he did was Distance. People started moshing for that. Um, but I think the ending, the ending's really tight. He did a Temptation. Love is only a feeling, and then devastated, and that was just. I think the, the, those songs kind of have like a more like a happier uh, vibe to them at mm -hmm. the end, you know. And it's kind of fun to bounce around to those songs after hearing like the rap and ass rap songs earlier in the set. So overall, um, really fun time. You know, Powers Pleasant was there as the tour DJ. Um, he had bass guitar up there. He had keys up there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's kind of ripped through it, man. Ninety minutes. 26 or so songs great time uh sounds like you just absolutely killed it was there like a, a song that for you you were hoping to hear that either didn't hit as well or maybe didn't mm. he didn't play uh, that's a good question you know honestly i would have wish you i wish he would have saved survival tactics for later in in the night and in the show because i mean people love that song people really like like the energy level increased when that was like song three but i feel like if that was like song 23 it would have been even more hype because people would have already have moshed at that point. So I, I get that, you know, he's doing the chronological thing. Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, Paper Trails went big, Christ Conscience went big. Um, hmm. I wish you would have let Distance play all the way. I wish you would have let Issa Gold's verse from The Underachievers go to, uh, mm -hmm. and maybe Eric from Flatbush Zombies. But 
that's such a fun song and honestly the joey part's like very quick very fast in the beginning of that song i would have loved to hear more of that because everyone was fucking pushing in each other and like bouncing <laughs> around and then the song ends you know um, yeah but yeah i don't know honestly everything hit hit really good i think because a lot of these songs most most of this music is five years old or more joey knows like he's done these songs so many times he knows which of these songs he can play and yeah. what to expect so it, it was very finely tuned and i'd be very curious to see what that set list looks like in a month's time where, or three weeks time when 2000 is out and there's more songs that joey is going to play so that's something to watch awesome well uh joey badass continues to just be a, a delight i think he's just like a pros rapper at this point he knows what he's doing so glad you got to see him in concert do you have uh, any others coming up soon nothing on the calendar but i'm keeping my eye on a last minute purchase for lady gaga at fenway park chromatica ball very expensive we're going to see uh how that uh keeps it hanging you know when we get closer to the the show date so we'll see i hope you can get tickets that that'd be incredible um yeah well we'll be talking about all the concerts we see but let's move forward to an album that we listened to this weekend which is give or take from giddy Giveon. the uh i guess like debut but really Giveon's just been absolutely crushing the charts i mean you go on his spotify man um unbelievable i mean He's the 107th most listened to artist in the world right now, according to Spotify. But, I mean, he's on songs that just did numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. Peaches, the the version that he's on with Daniel Caesar, uh, and, and obviously Bieber, Heartbreak Anniversary and Chicago Freestyle all have at least over 400 million streams, with Peaches being mm-hmm. over a billion streams dude i had no idea peaches had that many that's insane <laughs> that's a record and song of the year nominee my guy <laughs> insane I, I didn't realize it was doing numbers like that but um yeah so giving on is someone that we've been aware of um has a couple of projects under his belt but this is technically his like studio right. album debut. yeah two eps um, came out in 2020 and then he released them like combined as a compilation album so this is like mm-hmm. the proper debut album of new music and what was your what was your overall temperature uh, on listening through give or take? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think going in with this Giveon album, having heard heard some of the music to this point, having heard I think um Heartbreak Anniversary, which is like kind of a unconventional TikTok hit, unconventional TikTok rise as a slower ballad song, not what you necessarily associate with dance challenges or virality yeah. online nonetheless it is one of those songs still you know knowing this music i think also just kind of thinking about like male r&b music we talk so much about like the wave of female r&b singers these days mm. which there are many uh many to celebrate and i think male r&b you know a lot of the 2010s was kind of dry for male r&b music and we haven't even really even talked about a whole lot of it to be honest um for that reason you know, I think apart from someone who's like obviously celebrated and, and kind of like almost above the space, like Frank Ocean, it, it, it's kind of been up and down. And I'm very curious to see the reception of the Brent Fias album in a week's time, mm. because he, I feel like him and Giveon are kind of like the true like faces of male R&B at this time, this very moment in terms of like, who's the hottest, who's making music people care about. And, you know, and, and apologies to Daniel Caesar, but I just kind of put those two above him. And I think with Giveon's like talent is like he has such a rich voice, but specific, very specifically that baritone that he yeah. has makes him stand out because he's different. And 
like a, a falsetto from Giviangis sounds different, you know? Yeah, it's like I was talking with somebody and that baritone almost sounds like he's like slowed down his voice intentionally through like some sort of auto tune. Like it's it's crazy. I, I've never heard a voice quite like that. Right. And, you know, I mean, he does, I think like song structure wise, he kind of does what you expect. It's ballad heavy for sure. And his biggest songs like Heartbreak Anniversary are ballads. So it's a ballad. So that makes sense. So I think going in, I, I was kind of impressed that there were a few moments where it was like a bit more up-tempo than your traditional balladry R&B album. Uh, For Tonight, in particular, stood out to me, one of the singles. The drums on there, just overall up-tempo. And even though it's still a very ballady chorus, I feel like that production kind of feels like a different lane for Gibeon, you know, having heard the other music. Um, overall, though, I think it's kind of what you expect. You know, you have another heartbreak which kind of feels like a sequel track in a sense mm-hmm. to the biggest song of his career to this point. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of just, it is actually kind of funny to think that like he's on peaches with Bieber, which was a great look for Bieber to give him because Giveon's career is frizzing very fast. But like peaches is like, is a song that's like, so unlike <laughs> like what Giveon's actual music is like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps that sets the wrong expectations for people that weren't actually fans of him, that perhaps aren't male R&B or R&B fans per se. They're more pop fans, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I think overall this this kind of does what I expected it to do. I don't know if it really changed my opinion on Giveon, but like I said, very curious to see what the other side of the coin looks like with Brent Fias in a week. You know, I, in listening through to him, one of the artists that really came to mind was Sam Smith, who I think is... Hmm another person in this like r&b space with like a very unique voice uh but also like came out with some hits at the beginning of his career especially collaborating with disclosure that i think almost like set the expectations for him to be much different than his music really ended up being and sam smith leans more into the dance sphere than Gibeon does so there's they're not like a one-for-one comparison but i hear a lot of like a lot of what we heard on some of those early Sam Smith albums. And I think like the subsequent, like sophomore album that really like fell flat because like, yeah, you're right. After like, after knowing that we were going to listen to this, I wanted to go back and hear like what hits been popping off. And obviously you hear peaches and you're like, man, like such a shot of adrenaline songs, just, you know, bubblegum mm-hmm. perfection. And then this album is just a lot slower. It's our, it's pretty much pure R and B except for maybe a few tracks. And um, while his voice sounds awesome and unique and uh, I-, I couldn't help but just think how he might be better utilized as like a feature on dance you know tracks or yeah. like you know backing vocals for a rapper rather than maybe like someone I want to listen to singularly yeah I mean he of course broke out with Chicago yeah. Freestyle with Drake where it's exactly what you say where he's just kind of laying down the chorus for Drake mm-hmm. raps of course, that was on Darkling demo tapes in 2020. So, yeah, I feel like that's how I approach a lot of R&B artists, where it's like, like you have these talents, but I feel like the, the, the unless there's like some like really impressive concept when we're talking about like Frank or like go further back and like D'Angelo or someone I don't know, but like this like the run of the mill R&B album always feels like kind of like kind of safe by de- by by definition to me, and. Yeah when you have like a really impressive or at least very unique vocalist like you have in Giveon, um, it, it, be, it is cool to think about what else you can get from that person, you know, because I feel mm-hmm. like he, he kind of comes across as a wholesome 
performer and his wholesome lyrics and um, yeah, I think quite lyrically at the end there an unholy matrimony but like you know not to keep bringing up Brent Fias, but like Brent Fias is again the other side of the coin because he's toxic as fuck you know that's not what Kivion yeah. is Kivion's more of like the like music you put on at the restaurant I don't know like <laughs> it's, it's just different yeah I mean there, there's definitely a lot of people who really love R&B um, and I think there's a lot of like desire to have that sphere be more robust you know you think back to like the 1990s and 2000s and r&b was top of the charts a lot of times you know boys to men was like absolutely dominating you know during their time and it's just like uh, i guess i just don't know if it's a movement in terms of what people want in terms of popular music at this point or if it's just that the talent in that that sphere has just changed um or moved in different directions that just don't hit as well but it just yeah. feels like there's like a real emptiness but we're taking away a little bit from the actual like i think album because mm-hmm. i do think there are some things to like on here right and I, I think one of the tracks that um stood out to me was at least we tried um really love his performance on that one i just think like it's very toned down but it really just allows him to like really show out that like r&b vocal performance and kind of go all over the place Mm. and he kind of comes out of that baritone at times in a way that i think allows me to like really appreciate how good of a singer he is because like i said sometimes when he's just sitting in that baritone for like the whole song i'm almost like is this just auto-tune like i i actually thought um <laughs> i thought heart uh what was the what's the hit there heartbreak anniversary the, yeah anniversary the tiktok song i actually thought that was just auto-tune like low i thought that was just slowed down to be that way so i was like totally surprised when i found out that was just his actual voice um so yeah that was that was one that i thought he kind of broke out of that mold a little bit were there any tracks that you really liked though yeah, I mentioned uh, for tonight just for the uh, more yeah. up tempo production. I think overall too, I did appreciate the kind of the framing of the story of this album in terms of him like having like it being in conversation with his mother, like talking mm. about what he's done, what he's gonna do, things like that. It's kind of kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I think like to to your point, there there can be times where the performance can sound almost nondescript, even though it's like strong singing. You know, I feel like that's a big negative for like blacks music six lakhs music you know it's just very nondescript even his right. voice though is strong enough that he can still push through and even like a down the middle Giveon song still sounds quite nice because i think he's just that level of singer so you yeah. know i think if i was a bigger r&b fan i'd probably like connect more with like the overall like vision of this album a little bit more but you know it, it's hard not to be impressed with the vocal talent um and yeah i mean like you like you kind of said i mean there is a kind of a sense of uh devoid sense of openness with male r&b because everyone who does this kind of goes pop goes dance or something right the weekend khalid um ty dollar sign you know more more hip-hop more uh guest spotting you know the list goes on chris brown of course so uh, the fact that Giveon to this point though is still really you know making R and B music, I think perhaps that's commendable in its own regard. He's really sticking to his guns. Yeah, that, I really like that point. Um, just want to shout out one more song for tonight. Which, if you're going to go with the Sam Smith comparison, man, I mean that song feels just like "Stay with Me" from Sam Smith's breakout album uh, or debut album, I should say. Uh, so I, I thought that was another standout track and one where you kind of hear him 
pushing both ends of the range, going from the the high baritone to his higher uh, vocal performance in this. So um, I think I think there are probably going to be more interesting things to come from Giveon, but for a first uh, studio album, I think that this is a, a decent debut and. Yeah, he's going to be someone we're talking about for quite a while. So uh, follow the Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. where We'll be putting a Giveon song on that, as well as all the songs that we enjoy from the week. But let's talk The Bear. Um, the Hulu, I guess we'll say, like, like kind of breakout show here, yeah. right? Like, I didn't see this coming at all, and it's been getting a lot of attention um, recently. Only eight episodes looking at a uh, chef who was working in high uh, cooking, high yeah, Noma French laundry, uh, yeah, high, like, high cuisine, yeah, uh-huh. high cuisine in New York City. Uh, had some mental health issues. His brother uh, dies by suicide, and he is left with his brother's restaurant in Chicago and moves back home to try to get the restaurant in some sort of working order. That's like the general uh, premise of this show. We watched the whole season, Dave. I mean, what's your what's your feeling after watching the Bears? Is this like a breakout hit to you, or something that's being overhyped? Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's, that's the that is the question. The Bear definitely a pleasant surprise. Definitely came out of nowhere. FX show debuting on Hulu was not on my radar, and I, I am a fan of FX. They make very good TV all the time. So I just kind of had this sneak up on me and it feels like it snuck, snuck up on a lot of people <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's a i think it's a really impressive show for its three central acting performances but overall the the framing or construction of the show centering on maintaining uh, this like kinetic tension in the kitchen of a of a small restaurant and not being afraid to really uh deepen your characters over the course of four hours often in the background, subtly, uh, over time, layering in so much subtext uh, to these characters, to these characters' relationships, and grounding a lot of that in, like, personal trauma, more so than, like, more uh, overt, like, you know, cooking dramatic cliches. Um, Not that there's not a cliche in the show, but, like, I I was just kind of impressed that, like, the things that the bear cares about thematically uh, was was quite fun to be with, you know. Despite the fact that it's a very tension filled show, I think people have been bringing up like uncut gems as a comparison, where like it's rarely a pleasant watch in that regard. There's always a lot of uh, stress that the characters are experiencing, you know, and that's passed on to the viewer. But uh, I think par- partially the surprise, but overall, just I think the intelligent way the show is telling its story, I think, really impressed me. Yeah, I I think that was probably the piece that I was left with most feeling like the show very much could have just been a restaurant show where they're really just like digging into this culture to you know living off that tension of having to meet all the demand of you know online orders and the people that day and making new dishes and all the dynamics in the kitchen but in grounding it in uh you know a a, family really trying to heal from trauma and then also uh kind of taking into account like the dynamics of this restaurant that is its own family dealing with its own trauma from this and how each person kind of 
was a part of this unhealthy dynamic that was around uh, Michael, uh, Carm's brother who dies by suicide. Um, and I, I just think it's really well told. I, I do. I did feel like it was a little bit like, like almost like rushed at the end of the season. I wish it had been 10 episodes. Cause I think there was, I, I would have liked like a little bit more time to like uh, explore a little bit more about like, uh, Sydney and Carm kind of coming together with like a singular vision at the end. I would have liked to have, um, I think, just had a little bit more time. I guess also I, I expect I thought this was gonna be ten episodes, so when it was only eight and there wasn't another ninth episode, I was like, "What the hell? <laughs> I need I need to see more of this." But um, yeah, I was just really blown away. I really enjoyed it. And man, I mean, we had seen Jeremy Allen White in Homecoming. Um, with a you know a, a side part in, in that, oh, right. but he is mostly known for his performance on Shameless, which we haven't watched. At least I haven't. I don't think you no. have either. No. So I was just really blown away by his performance in this. Like he's he looks so regular, but also so unique at the same time, and he really jumps off the screen. Yeah, no, for sure. I think him, Evan Moss, Backrat, and Io Adibiri, Adibiri, those three performances need to work for this show to work in the way it's trying to work. Mm-hmm. And thankfully they all work. They're all excellent performances and they really color in these characters in such a, I think in such a rich way. Um, and even, even on the side, you have like Lionel Boyce as the pastry chef, you know, uh, Lionel Boyce once known as Elboy of odd future yeah. for the real ones, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have um, Maddie Matheson, the famous uh, chef kind of there coming in as the guy who doesn't really work for their work for them, but is, is like their handyman. Like there's a lot of like faces coming in and out, but the, your, your three main characters though are all really strong. And I, 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 like I said, like, I like how the show didn't go in the obvious directions. Like there, there is a, the moment where everything blows up in episode seven, the penultimate episode where they episode review that's like the moment where you get like the like abuse in the kitchen, which is like something that's like been talked about as something that these people don't want to do. Um, specifically Sydney you know, in terms of how she wants to like improve the way people work and how she works in kitchens and things, stuff like that. But this show doesn't like go down the like uh, difficult man, abusive auteur chef lane that it could have gone, even though yeah. Carm is that guy in that episode, that's not actually what this show is interested in, you know, because it's, a, it's such a more personal form of storytelling. And like, I was, appre- I appreciate that. I feel like if this show was made 10 years ago, like that's obviously what they're going to do. And, and then Carm is like Gordon Ramsay and that's how they tell the story. But that's right. not what they do. And that's pretty, pretty impressive because like Carm's personal life and family life is the actual thing that they're concerned about on the bear, which I liked. Um, yeah. I think those, those three performances, you know, Evan Moss back rep, someone who, it's been in a million things, but I feel like I, I, I couldn't really place where I had seen him before. I think he's, his biggest role is probably um, on The Punisher in a supporting role, I guess, when I looked it up. But um, yeah, I thought he also is this kind of note perfect as the kind of character he's playing, which is this kind of like more or less a deadbeat guy who doesn't have a lot going on and has this kind of like deep sadness that he represses through his like antics and outward behavior and things like that yeah i mean there's just so much like on the surface or just on the side or things that are left unsaid that makes this place this 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 restaurant this world feel so lived in 
and so rich over 30 minute episodes over only four hours, which is, I think, again, what would, is it for me like the shining achievement is like how successful this is in such an economical way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like the point you made about like, and not going into that like difficult man, difficult chef, uh, you know, really toxic, like, you know, kitchen, but he's just too, he's so good that you just have to like forgive him. Like you just have to go back and continue working for him type of thing. And I really liked the dynamic between um, Carm and Sydney in the, in the whole show. You know, I think not only having this like young up and comer with Carm, who presents as pretty young himself, but is obviously the character is more established and well known, and people kind of know his his abilities. But it kind of like this reminder of like why like he got into cooking in the first place like wanting to like explore and like make things and then you get in the final episode like why Carm went more into high cuisine which is Mm -hmm. because his projection from his brother and obviously that um that monologue from him at the Al-Anon meeting at the beginning of episode eight is the that that, that's going to be the Emmy uh reel that they they show you know because I think uh Jeremy Allen White just absolutely crushes that um, I was really, really impressed with his delivery, and that whole episode eight is, I think, like no perfect. Not, I mean, finding the money inside the tomato cans is like just so crazy and ridiculous. It's like, okay, well, they wanted to do something to like put this in a different spot for season two for sure. But um, I thought the whole like scene with him with the letter. And, you know, him talking in the monologue about how his brother made everybody feel like they could do anything. And his his phrase was, let it rip. And then he opens the letter and it says, let it rip. And I just was like, oh, my God, it's so, yeah. so perfect. And, you know, like you see Bernthal, I think it's in episode five or six. And six. he just fucking, he just fucking jumps off the screen, dude. Like, it's it's unbelievable. He's, that guy is just like everything he does right now. He's absolute golden. But yeah. like that line like let it rip like you just it just sounds like it's coming from his mouth when you read it it's it's really amazing how the show does that and i, I also wanted to shout out one other performance that i really loved which is sugar yeah um a carm sister played by abby elliott who has a, like a pretty thankless job in this show like she's she doesn't really get to do a lot of the fun antics she's not really running around like doing the like side quest kind of thing the only time she really gets more than like to to be Carm's like reminder of like oh you're not the only person suffering in the show is when she's coming in and like looking for the uh the tax paper or whatever she needs to get the IRS off of her back for that episode but I really think without her the show doesn't totally hit emotionally because you kind of have Carm having these like uh, nightmares, trauma flashbacks type of thing, but I think really grounding it as like, Carm, you aren't the only person in this world, you aren't the only person in mm-hmm. this kitchen type of thing, really is what like brings the family aspect into the show, which I think is where the show levels up in my opinion, so um, totally. it's fun to see Maddie Matheson run around to be ridiculous, it's fun to see him and Evan Moss, uh, Bacharach, like their dynamic is really funny, you know Richie telling uh, Neil that you know he can't work there and like <laughs> you know that whole like and then later get into <laughs> later when Richie gets stabbed at the end he's like you know that was pretty fucking tough when you just got stabbed and like just yeah. walked over here and took care of it you know that was pretty 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 metal yeah <laughs> however I he says that, it yeah I thought that was great um, I I really 
I thought I thought there were some really funny aspects of this show, like when they do the kids party with the hot oh dogs and they have the the Xanax bottle fall into oh. the juice. Oh my god, Zanned so out. funny! Um, <laughs> and yeah, then you have a couple of like just like really great actors just kind of coming in for guest spots. Oliver Platt is kind of in and out as Cicero, but Mikhail as the chef yeah. in New York Joel City Mikhail. who's being emotionally abusive to him you have john burns all like i mentioned and molly ringwald as the Alanon meeting moderator in episode eight was just like i had to like pause and like make sure i was like see that that was actually her it was pretty like took me back but yeah the show is just really wonderful as a whole feels kind of like the uh, ted lasso of this year right uh for very different reasons yeah um yeah. but yeah in terms of coming out of nowhere it's definitely the biggest surprise thus far and we've seen a lot of good shows um you know, one thing I should note, too, I saw this thrown out, and I, I can't speak to this, but, like, I think there's some pushback from some native Chicagoans for the way Chicago is presented in The Bear, specifically uh, through Richie, primarily. It's, like, how this restaurant is existing in, in a changing neighborhood, you know, gentrification, things are changing, people are moving out, blah, 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 right? But, like, and the show very pointedly tells you this is a post-COVID um, situation the yeah. restaurant made it through and you'll kind of learn how that happened later on but the thing though that, that some of the Chicagoans are pushing back on is the fact that like this uh, neighborhood I think it's called um, River Riverfront or something like that uh, mm-hmm. I forget this neighborhood gentrified like 10 plus years ago like it's just kind of an outdated like source of tension for this actual situation where this is actually like a very corporate area and the yeah. fact that you're putting these like local like Chicago towny mobsters on the street is just like super unrealistic for what they're actually go- supposed to be going for in a post-COVID Chicago in this space. Like, so I think like the Chicago stuff is a bit messy if you kind of actually know what you're being served here. Um, I did think this Upton Stevens drop was a bit on the nose there. Oh, you think? <laughs> well, the, um, the whole soundtrack they're really leading into Chicago. I mean, Wilco. Yeah shows up multiple times yeah. like okay they're really no kanye you know i was kind of expecting that <laughs> the, the, this had like a more like punk alternative yeah. vibe i guess right yep so i think that that's just something to note just a, a different perspective but i think overall like if you can set that aside the dramatic tension the character work really succeeds to me and where the show tells you it cares about most in terms of sydney richie and Carm, like and then just an amazing cameo from Bernthal, like uh, that alone, I think is worth it. And again, it's, it's so short, it's so efficient in, in its storytelling. Another huge W for the half hour format. Once again, this is very much a dramatic yeah. show in 30 minutes. Yeah. And just, uh, I think people are going to be talking about, but that episode seven, you talked about review. Um, that's going to be the, the episode that probably stands out most from the season not only for being like the most tension filled i mean that's like the uncut gems like ask episode to me but it's a it's a wonder you know it's a it's a one-shot episode continuous take the whole time uh just really stands out as an episode of tv probably one that will be on list at the end of the year so um worth checking out for sure but i think we're going to move on from hulu on or fx on hulu to netflix where Stranger Things season four, volume two, finally dropped. Four hours 
the television, Dave. Did, <laughs> were, were, were you expecting four more hours of Stranger Things? I think we were, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we knew the lengths going in. They've been advertising a two-and-a-half-hour finale. Um, but it is very outrageous uh, episode lengths for these final two episodes of season four. And I think it's just bad form, bad technique, honestly, and gets in the way of some of the good moments uh, that I think hit well and are effective and fun to be with. And it's it, just the, the, the supersizing of Stranger Things season four, I think, did more harm than good, ultimately, which is frustrating because I think you could argue this is the second best Stranger Things season, you know, uh, yeah, maybe the I third mean, best, definitely better than season three. Yes, definitely better than season three, and I would probably put it number two in my rankings behind, obviously, season one, which I think is mm-hmm. like just a, a dynamite season, caught from lightning in a bottle type thing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think this is the sort of thing where you're like, you either make this just a longer season, or you get you get a better editor, because uh, this is really, these are really long episodes. Um, I... I do have to say, I really enjoyed both episodes. I think there's some real, like, nice moments. I think the way it's kind of put together, and this is something we talked about in our Volume 1 review from Season 4, uh, it's it's a messy season. There's just so much going on. There's too many characters, too many storylines. I do feel like they kind of tie it all together pretty well, but it's kind of funny because there's, like, this, like, scene in the the fourth episode where all these things have to start happening at one time and there's like five or six things that all happen at once and i'm just like i, I don't know if the timelines are really lining up here the way that, that they were hoping yeah. it would but i guess it works but i think overall i was pretty satisfied with this ending did you feel the same way yeah i, I have one major note but i, I think like to your point about the Duffer brothers needing an editor, but like they won't allow themselves to have an editor because yeah. they won't kill anybody and they only yeah. add characters. Thus, they need to supersize these episodes. They need to cut and cut and cut to a new plot because they have all these fucking plots they want to serve. They just won't whittle anything down. They're actively choosing to not whittle anything down. And that just gets in the way of storytelling. That just makes it messy. And we're getting spoilers, but like when they actually might take a major character and have them not come back and die, even then they don't actually do it. They take it back. And now this person is, is in a coma in the hospital bed. They died. So the gate can open for Vecna, but they came back to life in a brief, you know, technical scientific death. But then of course we're resurrected and is in a coma. It's like, it's like unbelievable, honestly. Yeah, and I, I guess, like, Vecna has to do it himself, but, like, Eddie just doesn't count. Like, what? Eddie actually died from Vecna's, like... Yeah, I guess because he right? was in the Upside Down when he died. Is that why it doesn't count? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Right. I think this is also where, like, when you when you get into this Inception level of, like, Eleven is uh, within a dream, within <laughs> a memory, within this Upside Down, it's like... Okay, I don't know how exactly she piggybacked here, but it works. Oh, yeah. That's just so funny, too. Eleven's like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to piggyback. I'm just going to do this thing from here. We don't have to go 2,000 miles and get there. And everyone's just like, oh, okay. And as as, the viewer, I'm like, am I supposed to, like, already know what this power means? Like, because I don't. 
I mean, yeah. sure. I, th- I think just the nebulousness of Eleven's powers and the fact that she's getting stronger and now she can apparently resurrect people to a certain extent. It's like, I don't like the elimination of stakes via Deus Ex Eleven, you know? But she's also our central figure, so I guess it is what it is. Um, the show has progressed to an endgame. We know season five is the final season. Um, perhaps season five, due to you know, the upside down joining the the world in earnest the way it has in Hawkins, everyone will be more or less in one place for once, you know? Wishful mm-hmm. thinking, probably, because you have fucking 15 people to work, worry about, but, like, you know, that's something to think about. Yeah, and it's not only just, like, people who have nothing else going on. Like, these are people who are pretty famous, all have things going on now. Um, yeah. I, I mean... A few a few actors will definitely be available, but I think especially after the season, some of them are going to start getting more and more looks by the time season five rolls around. So uh, definitely going to be interesting um, to see how they pull that together. Let's talk about these two episodes, though. So episode one was very much like a let's get the plan together. Let's get everybody together. Let's like figure out how we're going to do this. And episode two was more like the execution of this plan. Um how did you feel like that kind of format worked where like episode one was like, or episode eight, I guess was let's get everything together. And nine was like, let's do it. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think for me, like eight, I didn't love eight as much as nine because I think eight, it's just a great example of kind of like the bloat that the duffers have with their storytelling. Where like, I didn't need to like spend like parts of multiple episodes at this like base with Brenner and Paul Reiser and Eleven, mm-hmm. because like the whole fact that Brenner's actually alive still is like complete nonsense anyway. I, we've been spinning our wheels for so long with Matthew Modine, like yeah. I just wanted that to be done with. Uh, then the tension of the the government chasing them down, the uh, you know, the military um, army, whoever, whatever force that was, that this kind of goes nowhere at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Great set piece. Obviously, yeah. from Eleven, you know, taking out the heli and stuff. Um, but, like, like the fact, oh, now Papa's, like, really dead. It's like, well, you know, who knows? Maybe Eleven can bring her, bring him back, too. I don't know. But, like, I was just so ready for that shit to be done, you know? I think that whole, like, side plot, I just was not interested in. Like, you have Mike and Jonathan and Will and Argyle just, like, doing their thing out on the side. And it's, like, honestly, they're not doing Jack this whole season. You know, Finn Wolfhard, our, our, Mike Wheeler, our once- Lead co-lead protagonist is just completely on the side. Um, in terms no, of dude, he's the heart. He's the heart. I thought so. That so was... I, I was just ready for that to be done. I also, I think the, the worst plot of the whole season, which continues through volume two, of course, is everything going on in Russia, which is just completely unnecessary and bogs down the whole season. And as much as I love Winona Ryder's choice, I think she's really great, and even Harbor is doing a good job as Hop. And I like Brett Gelman a lot. He's funny. But, like, that's just completely unnecessary. And another thing that, like, served really no purpose to go back to Russia and, like, deal with the, the Soviets who we had met in season three. Like, it's just, it just, there's no tension there. And it's just a way for them to create this reunion uh, between Joyce and Hop because they wouldn't kill Hop in the season three. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so I, I think I just kind of like wish that shit just never happened at all because we could have kept it moving more. Yep. Um, but like you said, I think they they do as good a job as they can in in their you know the, the walls they erect for themselves, where like they try and 
nail everything down and then you know cross all their t's as best they can so like in that sense it is satisfying to like see everything progress um but i was definitely having the best time when i was with you know steve and uh nancy and that crew yeah uh, i i i can totally agree with the those takes it almost feels like the 11 stuff could have just been like I actually had forgotten that the government was still like after like trying to stop her. So it felt like they could have just like really done away with that right at the beginning and the Russia stuff, like kind of the same, almost, uh, we almost kind of just needed them to be like, all right, you're going to get the helicopter up and running and we're going to get back to this prison to kill these, like these flares. Like that's kind of all we really needed to know for this like plan to go through. Um, so I, I really could have used a little bit less time there. Um, I also didn't really like any of the stuff where where they're like hunting down the Hellfire crew, you know, like the the jocks oh, from yeah. school and that yeah. stuff. Like they stand. couldn't stand that. And I guess like the whole reason you needed I forgot what that main jock's name was to like come and fight Lucas was to um, like break the headset really, and then like give Lucas some someone to like fight back with, you know, like and a reason yeah. why he couldn't like put the music on Max. Um, I guess because Max had to die. Like it's uh, kind of just like uh, I guess I don't really know why we still had this person, but I'm glad that they just like gave us the minimal amount of time with with that storyline because I really feel like that didn't work. Uh, you know, one thing I was kind of curious about, and Master of Puppets has a moment in this. You know, the song Master of Puppets <laughs> by Metallica has a moment in this where Eddie, you know, is like, "I'm gonna go full metal to like draw these bats over to us." Yeah, it's like the distraction. And it's like, it feels almost like they filmed, I, I'm sure they didn't, but it almost feels like they filmed that after the Kate Bush thing, because they're like, man, Kate Bush really popped off. Let's really make another like music moment in this. Because I, I mean, in past seasons, like 80s culture was a huge thing. But do you remember music being like this much of like a central part of the Stranger Things like plot? No. Like Kate Bush was everywhere in the second volume too. Yeah, so so running up the hill is like a central like motif for this whole season. It's like yeah. so much beyond the fact that oh Max is just running it, running that tape back all the time mm-hmm. to help help pro- progress through some trauma and PTSD she's experiencing. And that was actually kind of a intelligent thing for them to imbue in her character and like how she's yeah. like you know not having the best time. And I, I liked how they set that up at least. But like yeah, I think more than anything, Stranger Things of ever since its inception has been like look at this very obvious and on the nose, but ultimately loving and uh, full of homage tribute to Spielberg and Amblin and, you know, just in general, seven, late seventies, eighties ephemera, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's just that has encompassed many things, not just music, but it was kind of interesting to see. Yeah. In this season, you have music itself play such a specific um, part. And I mean, this the whole phenomenon of, phenomenon of Kate Bush is blowing the fuck up from this song. I mean, yeah, she's her, herself and whoever owns her royalties. The, the estimate is now like 2 million plus in earnings from running up the hill since this happened. Um, the song peaking at number four in the country. <laughs> and just a great example, I think, of the democratization of the streaming economy and how older music is much more viable in the streaming and TikTok world and look no further than Kate Bush. And I mean, if you, if you thought Fleetwood Mac's dreams a few years back was big, I mean, it's nothing oh like this. God. But no. t- to the Duffer Brothers' credit, they actually really weaved in a song, which 
is a popular song back in the day, but more of a deep cut. Weaving in a song in such a way to their storytelling, um, it, it really um, you know stuck with people. So I, I got to give it to them for that. Yeah, and I I I gotta say the the scene was pretty like fun. It just felt like right. it just felt like so like shooed in. But I guess Master Puppets, you know, just looking back, was that album did drop in '86, which I think is the year that they're in in this. So I guess that sure. makes sense. That might be like where he's at i also do not believe eddie could play that guitar solo so that was just like i mean <laughs> oh, right. we're already suspending so much belief but he just fucking crushed that <laughs> um i i but i i do think that was pretty fun that has also been a song that's climbing the charts a little bit also you get a little bit of journey um worlds apart which i was just uh, like yeah that's that's like a pretty cool ending to uh episode eight in episode nine i mean a lot of a lot of things happen there what were your like favorite parts of of nine mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, the the parts that really stand out, um, I really enjoyed when you see Elle kind of have this like face to face with Vecna and you mm. see like a bit of Vecna's backstory come to light. But then Elle and Mike, you know, talking to her through the wherever she is in the, the void or wherever they call that. <laughs> and um, I think like that moment really works and is like very emotional. I think mm. also like, Every, all the build up to the plan actually happening, you yeah. know, Lucas and Max like writing the notes to each other back and forth is really effective. Steve and Nancy and uh, Sally Hawk's character's name is escaping me for some reason. Maya Hawk? Robin? Maya Hawk. Yeah, Robin. Sorry, I called her Sally Hawk again. I do that all the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought like all of that like pre stuff where they're all having these like heart to hearts with each other is like really great. And I was almost mm -hmm. like, I just wish we weren't so bogged down in the sci-fi aspect at times. I really wish like yeah. the like character aspect was a little bit more prominent. Maybe that's what will happen in parts of season five to come, but not super optimistic for it. Yeah. But yeah I don't know how you can get less sci-fi when the, the abyss has opened up into reality the way it has <laughs> yeah. at the end of this season. The, the, the four horsemen are on their way. Apparently it's like <laughs> the thing, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, I, I uh, just some things like I, I i liked actually how um argyle kind of like was a kindred spirit with the other guy at a surfer yeah surfer boy pizza whatever that chain was that was awesome that, that was pretty funny you know that whole like getting the like um sensory deprivation tank together too i, lo I loved all that stuff like in that in the pizza like place that was great yeah i mean also i think with that with that plot probably the most monumental thing that happened i think it's kind of across both episodes i don't remember uh will uh you know basically expresses his feelings to mike but he substitutes himself for 11 and how he's expressing these feelings to to mike and you can tell that he's very emotional about how he feels and they also show that jonathan is picking up on it however then they have a they have a talk the two brothers at the pizza place and it's not actually acknowledged out in the open the mm -hmm. way Robin, for example, is just a, a lesbian, you know? Yeah. Um, but, like, it's not out in the open. To this point, the sexuality of Will Byers has been subtext. And now they have presented it in such a way where it can no longer be subtext. And yeah. it has to actually progress beyond subtext. And Will needs to be queer in some way. Because otherwise those scenes make no fucking sense <laughs> and it's honestly really exploitive shit you know yeah. now he doesn't necessarily have to come out to everyone we're talking about the 80s after all 
Um, on the other hand, the fact that Jonathan even noticed it in some way, kind of atypical for a straight guy in the 80s to notice that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We can let it slide. But I thought that was very notable because that is clear progression of this thing that's been going on with Will for some time in the show. And you really hope that they pay it forward in a meaningful way in season five. If they're going to do it in season five, I don't mind them playing out the string a little bit more. But I think they're kind of at the point of no return now with yeah. what what's Will Byers' sexuality. Like they, they've presented it in such a way where now they actually do need to like comment on it. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Uh, I definitely felt like they were about to, and then you had the conversation between the two brothers, and I was like, oh, I guess they're just not going to really address this yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I wanted to ask you, like, season five, I suspect they're going to probably do something similar where it's these, like, super bloated long episodes. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that, like, you are hoping to see in season five or anything that you uh, any like storylines that you particularly mm-hmm. like I can't wait to see how they wrap that up That's a good I'm question. interested to see where they go, go with like the Steve and um, Steve Nancy and yeah. will love triangle sorry not will uh, Jonathan Jonathan yeah uh, I think that's mm-hmm. probably the most interesting like relationship dynamic to me but what about you yeah I was totally there for like seeing Nancy and uh, Steve kind of be like, hmm, there's still something here, isn't there? Yep. You know, the way they're looking at each other. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready for that to happen. And I've already yep. said before, I'm not the biggest Jonathan fan as far as the ensemble goes. So yeah, definitely looking for that. Honestly, I would just like the storytelling to be in such a way where more of the actors really have like emotional range to display. I thought Caleb McLaughlin was really tremendous towards the end there as Lucas when like Max, he thinks Max is dead. You know, mm-hmm. um, and he realizes that like the tape is is broken and he can't save her. He's gonna watch her die right in front of him. Like he did a really good job there. And yeah. honestly, for the most part, this show has only really reserved that kind of material for Eleven. And mm-hmm. now I, I feel like Eleven is kind of beyond that, where like her backstory stuff is more or less closed off with Brenner now dead. We hope, mm-hmm. but. If anything, it'll be her friends probably where she would express that grief or like how she did with Max. So I just want to see more of that. Um, yeah. In terms of like presenting, I think like presenting dramatic stakes in the best way this show can for a show that doesn't want anybody to die and will take things back and change what you think has happened. If they can present things in a dramatic way for the kids more than anything, I feel like Joyce and Hop have had them more have had dramatic mm-hmm. material already too. If the kids can have like I think meaningful, uh, dramatic arcs in some way, amongst the end game of Stranger Things, clearly sci-fi end game, you know, I think that can be considered a win. But to, to the Duffer's credit, I think they really put the show in a in a position to at least attempt that if they want to attempt that. Yeah, I'm almost like looking forward to them just like resolving Vecna and then seeing how all of the characters move forward after with whoever survives which might be everybody might be only a few we'll see um it feels like one of the main crew probably won't make it out like i feel like eventually they have to like they have to like someone has to go maybe it's like max like comes out of her coma for like a brief moment and then actually like goes i don't know that's like imagine if they killed dustin though dude that would be i mean that would be ballsy (laughs) because he's like the 
he's like the I feel like the audience avatar in a lot of ways, right. you know, kind of like I, w- the, I would say Mike, but like, no, nah. Mike's been so so lame for two seasons. It's like that wouldn't that wouldn't actually hit as much as you'd think it would hit. Yeah, so. the, and plus the whole like Mike Eleven relationship, they really want you to like ship that when it's just become Steve and Nancy pretty much the whole time. Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see where the show goes, but I'm really glad that it got back into form this season. Um, and I hope they don't do the split it up where here's here's three fourths of the season and then enjoy these last two but i suspect they'll yeah. do that if the <laughs> stock market continues the way it has for netflix so right i would say uh just make movies or make tv pick a lane <laughs> all right alan Seppenwall. fine uh actually speaking of tv though let's talk emmys because man emmys are emmy nominations are going to be dropping soon Tuesday, um, and the twelfth. I I was I I can't believe it's Emmy's time again. I guess is where I just want to start yeah. with this. Like, how the hell is it Emmy's time again? I have no idea. We're gonna be going through all of the uh, the main categories from limited comedy and drama. But Dave, I mean, just overall Emmy nominations. Where are you at? Are you you excited for these ones? Yeah, I, I was with you on that. These Emmy nominations come out. July 12th, the Emmys themselves will happen September 12th. So, you know, before you know it, it's the end of the year again. Don't you love when that happens? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's been an amazing TV year. I've seen a lot of shows, a lot of shows I've liked. And that's strictly 2022. Of course, the Emmy period is not actually that. Of course, it's June 1st, 2021 to May 31st, 2022. That's the eligibility period here we're talking about. So, Shows like The Bear, which just came out that we loved, not this Emmy year. But regardless, I mean, there's a lot of big shows to discuss, you know, like Succession coming back into the Emmy fold, for example. Um, Limited series, it's just a complete bloodbath, seems like every year now. Um, Just the way peak TV goes, where like that seems to be where like the talent really crystallizes these low, short commitment type series. So that's always really exciting. Comedy is not as light as it was last year. There's more stuff out there to choose from. But in general, yeah, I'm, the movie product has been lighter. There's just less movies being released this year. The, the COVID effects have really kind of come to a fore this year for that. But TV has um, been really soldiering through. And you know, I think we, we t- everyone talked about this, but like the April to end of May timeframe where all these shows were coming out to make the Emmy uh eligibility window presented us with this situation where there were lots of shows that just were not given the attention they deserve because professional people can only devote so much time and the average person obviously only has so much time or willingness to dedicate to watching tv so mm-hmm. you have all these great shows shows that are often are very expensive or littered with huge actors getting like no attention at all. I think of like Gaslit on stars with Sean Penn and fucking Julia Roberts, you know, <laughs> it feels like a show that came and went despite the reviews being really strong. You know, mm-hmm. um, we've talked about this for, for six weeks, you know, there was just so much TV coming out and now you're going to see where there's going to be shit. That's, it's going to be snubbed at these Emmys. It's, it's, it's inevitable at this point. You, I think the, the group think, th- uh, aspect where like lots of show, uh, a small group of shows get lots of nominations that's probably going to hurt more than usual because there's so much deserving of recognition that you really wish they would spread the wealth more than any other time. But mm-hmm. that's probably not how it's going to go. So 
there's a lot of tough decisions to be made by the voting, but um, there's also just so much to pick from. There's a shit ton to pick from, dude. And like you said, limited series is a bloodbath. It's limited series, uh, anthology series, or movie um, is the, the category. And um, yeah, it feels like if somehow um, that is just like extremely stacked, and you look at comedy and comedy is kind of like, eh, and then drama gets back to being stacked in my opinion as well. Um, and we're, we're going to work our way from the supporting to the lead to the um, overall uh, series uh, nominations or our predictions for those. Why don't we start with um, supporting actress in a limited series, uh, anthology series or movie. I'm just going to say limited series from here on out though. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, this category has quite a few different shows that could be represented. Um, Made is one that we have not talked about, but seems like there's a potential to have some potential nominations in this category. Mm-hmm. White Lotus, of course. Anything we're talking about with limited series, White Lotus is in the conversation. Um, Hawkeye, Florence Pugh, maybe sneaking in there. W- what are you expecting for this supporting actress category? Yeah, I'd also say Gaslit is another one of those limited series that seems yeah. to be especially favored to get lots of nominations so along those lines i think caitlin deaver is uh she's gonna probably show up for gaslit i don't know this is this is actually a category where there was only a few things that came to mind i think jennifer coolidge in the white lotus is a pretty obvious selection honestly not my favorite part of the white lotus check that review but it seems like that's this where this is going you also have connie Britton from the white lotus as well um it would honestly probably feel like a bit much to pick both of them, given yeah. th- things to choose from, but you never know. Um, it depends how this goes. Someone who I would love and is super deserving of this nomination, but perhaps it's not going to happen, would be Daniel Deadweiler from Station Eleven and HBO mm-hmm. Max. Yeah, I would love to see that as well. I, it, I'm not sure if, if the the money would be, the smart money would be on her. Um I think if anything, probably someone from Made, whether it's Andy McDowell or Anika Noni Rose, is probably going to get one. I would guess Andy McDowell, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Betty Gilpin from Gaslight. I mean, we love Betty Gilpin here, and if Gaslight is going to get a bunch of noms, maybe that's where it will start for the night. Um, yeah, I mean, could you see them giving Florence Pugh the nomination just to have the, the big name star at the show? You know, well, if you think about last year, WandaVision, Elizabeth Olsen was nominated for the lead limited actress performance. That would be, I mean, Hawkeye is such a mediocre show, but Florida Pugh is great. Man, I, I, I don't think I can see that one, honestly. Yeah. No way. It would be tough. Um, especially, you know, you, you look at some of these other like big names that are potentials for this category. Laurie Metcalf for the dropout. Yeah, Regina such Hall. Such a small part, honestly. Yeah. Regina Hall for Nine Perfect Strangers. Rosario Daw- Dawson for Dopes that couldn't be nominated. And Tony Collette for The Staircase, which just snuck in there. So, I mean, there's a, a lot of big names that could potentially get it. Didn't even mention Ellen Burstyn for The First Lady. So y- you said that you think it will probably be... Um, Sorry, what, the one from White Lotus. I'm oh, Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. Jennifer Coolidge, yes. Uh, any others that you feel really strongly? You know, I feel like people like Caitlin Deaver, so I'm going to go with her there, too. Yeah. Um, she's also, she's She's been um in good shows already, too, so 
I think I think her, you know, it's kind of tough though. I feel like after that, it, it's kind of hard to actually feel safe about any of these, which kind of speaks to just the depth of these categories. Uh, I'm going to say, I think Rosario is probably going to get it. Dopesick got a lot of love, a lot of attention, and she was a pretty, um, at least advertised part of that show. We haven't watched it, but um, I think one of the ones from White Lotus, one of the ones from me, then Rosario would be like my my top three picks for this category. Mm-hmm. After that, I'm, uh, it's hard to say, but right. we'll see. Um, why don't we move forward, though, to Outstanding Supporting Actor in a limited series where again, pretty stacked. Um, yeah. You know, I'm just like reading through the names that I have written down here. And um, it's kind of hard. Cause I, I, I feel like there's some performances that I was like, are, are those really the ones that I would want to be nominated? You know, Joe Alwyn is on this list. Uh, <laughs> Naveen Andrews from the dropout. And it's like, these people are in the conversation, but there's just so many other performances that you want to, you know, uh, yeah, give some love to. Well, which ones do you think are likely yeah. to get nominated? I think Murray Bartlett for White Lotus is the obvious favorite there. Definitely rooting for that one. After that, though, like you said, if you look at some of like the predictions, it's like Seth Rogen, Pam and Tommy. Like, n- don't need that. You know? No. <laughs> are they gonna <laughs> like not. go? Are they gonna go hardcore with Dope Sick, Stolberg, and Sarsgard, Peter Sarsgard? You know, maybe you mentioned Naveen Andrews for the dropout. I think that one's pretty likely, honestly. Yeah. After that, though, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting thoughts. You could grab another person from the White Lotus. You could grab someone from Under the Banner of Heaven. Why support? Yep. A lot of support for Matthew Good. The best part of the offer, really showy performance is Robert Evans. Mm-hmm. Didn't love the offer, but I wouldn't hate that, honestly. Um you know, if Gaslit does big, Dan Stevens, you know, I think there's, it's another one where it's kind of hard to really predict what's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. I, I think Under the Banner banner of Heaven will definitely get some love here. So I think if Wyatt Russell got a nomination, I wouldn't be surprised. Chances on Ethan Hawke, in your mind, getting a nomination for Moon Knight. I mean, big name. No chance. No chance? Oh, no sh- chance? I mean, he didn't even get nominated for First Reformed at the Oscars. How the hell is he going to get nominated for fucking Moon Knight? <laughs> I mean, the Emmys, the Emmys are not the Oscars, bro. No, uh, they're not. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see it either. But I think the thing is, we might be, like, I don't know if discounting is the right way to put it, but we might be underestimating the power of the Disney, um, you know, push here. Because Disney yeah. Plus is going to want these nominations. They want to continue to get that prestige, I would imagine, especially for these Marvel shows, to give them a little bit of heft. I don't know. I can see them pushing for it. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the only sure one in my, my mind is probably Murray Bartlett and then Naveen Andrews is pretty much a sure thing in my mind as well. So uh, let's move on to the next category, Dave. Uh, uh, lead actress in limited series or anthology series or movie. Um, man, what, what are the, your top like two or three for this one? Yeah, this is a good one. I think Amanda Seyfried, the dropout. As Elizabeth Holmes, mm-hmm. that one needs to happen. Uh, Margaret Qualley was widely celebrated as the best part of Maid, so I feel like that one's super safe as well. Yeah, I'd also love to see Jessica Chastain for scenes from a marriage. I thought she was really Oof. great in that. That'd be great. Um, after that, though, I think there's a lot of things to pick from. I do not want to see Julia Garner from Inventing Anna. I don't think that's a good performance. It's not a good show. That would be mm-hmm. really tough to see, given how deep 
the field is, right? So after that, you have Julie Roberts, Gaslit, Viola Davis as Michelle Obama and the First Lady. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Anne Hathaway, We Crashed, really celebrated performance. You have uh, Lily James, best part of Pam and Tommy. You know, I think there's a lot of a uh, lot of things to pick from here. Elle Fanning, girl from Plainville. Like, there's a lot of a lot of options here. But I think after that top three, it's actually hard to figure out who the last two are gonna gonna be. Yeah, so the three you said would be Seyfried, um Kuali and Chastain. Chastain. I, I I would say Viola Davis, pretty smart yeah. money on her. I mean that that show hasn't gotten uh very good feedback, but she definitely is a force and pretty much always gets nominated. Um Yeah, man. I mean Julia Gardner, hot name right now, just got cast as uh Madonna in the in her biopic yeah. coming up. I, I would I would love that. Um, I think that'd be a great look for her, and she obviously has won in the past. So, yeah, I, I would probably say those five. Do you do you really think impeachment, American Crime Story, is just gonna be totally shut out here? Yeah, kind of do honestly. I feel like the Ryan Murphy sheen is gone. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I but feel that that's something looming as a, as like something that can get nominations that you don't necessarily want to see. Um, yeah, will also be tough because something that doesn't seem like it's gonna happen. I mentioned Daniel Deadweiler, Mackenzie Davis, Station Eleven for lead actress here, would be a no-brainer if I was the one doing the nominations. But it doesn't seem like that show's gonna get it done, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's really too bad. Maybe that will change in the uh, lead actor category, um, where if if there is gonna be a nomination, it feels like Himesh Patel might get it for Station Eleven, right? Right. I- I don't know, man. I think I think this is probably the 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 deepest with star power for all the limited yeah. series categories. I mean, Michael Keaton with Dope Sick, Garfield coming off an Oscar nom on the Banner of Heaven, uh, Colin Firth kind of sneaking up right here with the Staircase coming out recently, and you have Jared Leto, really flashy. We crashed, uh, just so many names yeah. with uh, with this category and. John Bernthal, we own this city, like, should fucking happen in my opinion, but I feel like this is going to be perhaps the most painful snub of all. Well, it's it's interesting, right, because Isaac has two limited series or anthology series in this with uh, Scenes from a Marriage and uh, Moon Knight. If he gets nominated for Moon Knight <laughs> over no Scenes from a Marriage, that'd be absolutely absurd. It feels like Bernthal has to get in there. You know, it has to. And if HBO... If, if like the one show that they get nominated in this category is the staircase, which we haven't talked about, I've heard pretty good things yeah. from that show, but not something I'm super interested in Same. watching, man, I, I would be so disappointed. Uh, Himesh Patel and John Bernthal are just so deserving. I feel like one of them has to get it from HBO. Right. We should also note um, Ben Foster, which is a HBO movie, the survivor yeah. about a um, guy who survives at a concentration camp in world war two by being a boxer. Ben Foster is the lead character there. Seems like there's a lot of juice behind him as well. So, like we said, a lot of big names here in all these limited series categories, ultimately. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were thinking when it came out, maybe Sebastian Stan had some juice. Sam Elliott in 1883. Like, there's just so many performances. In, in a different universe, Miles Teller was probably hoping for something to pay yeah. offer here, you know? Like, there's, there's just a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of good limited series out. Sean and Penn, that's Gaslit, what, another one. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're going to move on to the uh, best 
limited series, anthology series, or TV movie. Yep. Uh, man, I mean, D- Dope Sick feels pretty, pretty safe, and so does The White Lotus. After yep. that, I feel like it's kind of there's a couple of contenders. What would you put your money on? Yeah, I think that's what's interesting about it too. Is we're like dropout, made, staircase feel like they're all going to get some kind of a mix of acting nominations, but not necessarily super safe to also get in there with a the nomination. Same for Under the Banner of Heaven. Something is going to miss out. Gaslit, another one. Um, I would love Station Eleven to get the recognition here. We own the city to get the recognition here. I'm not feeling good about those, though. There's there's so much to pick from. I mean, heck, you know, not exactly my speed, but like it would be really cool to see like Netflix's Midnight Mass get recognized here. Mm. You know, different thing but still very much worthy in a, in a different sort of, uh, you know, thought. Um, I, I would love the dropout to be the only uh, founder show to get picked from here, of course, alongside We Crashed and Super Pumped. So um, I feel like that one's, I don't know. I, do you think anything's safe in here after Dope Sick and the White Lotus? I, I don't. I don't either. Um, I think if I had to choose one that probably was, I'd probably go Made next just because that's gotten so much acclaim and so much love, but man, I, I, I guess I'm just like, again, station 11 and we own the city all deserve to be in there, but I could, I cannot see three HBO shows, maybe two. And right. scenes from marriage probably has no chance to get the no series. Chance. Nom, right. No chance in my mind. And so it's like, is the staircase really going to be the HBO show that walks away with all these noms? I would just that's be like, fucking man, lame as hell. It really is. <laughs> They they Watch never the ride for Simon. They never ride for him. I know. I don't get it either. Like he's like so highly acclaimed. Like why wouldn't you want to anoint him? I I don't get it. But, I mean, he's one of their most loyal guys. He's made, yeah. He makes more shows than anyone else for HBO, and they and don't campaign for him. You know, that's just such like lightning in a bottle. I feel like yeah. I just want to like push this show forward. Yeah, at the least ride. I know. You know. So disappointing. Anyways, um, so that, that that wraps up the limited series category. We're gonna hop over to comedy real quick, and comedy feels a little bit lighter. A few a few shows that obviously are mainstay. Saturday Night Live is always in contention for these nominations. I don't understand how the Saturday Night Live is still like relevant in these conversations, but it is. Um, <laughs> and it is interesting too. Like, you know, we, there's people we've seen nominated for years and years, like Keenan Thompson, Kate McKinnon, Cecily Strong, A.D. Bryant. But Bowen Yang, uh, I think last year for the first time, got nominated. It seems like he's very safe once again to get in there. So, like, yeah, the uh, SNL introducing new new featured players and then churning that through. You know, obviously Kate McKinnon, A.D. Bryant, we think Cecily are leaving SNL. So there is room for new performances alongside Keenan, who's probably just reliably going to continue to be nominated, it <laughs> yeah. feels like. Yeah, but the, the, those do eat up some of these spots, right? And yeah. it feels like in this supporting actress category, Kate McKinnon probably is going to get nominated because it's her last year to get nominated for SNL. I could definitely see that happening. Um, and then you have Hacks, Ted Lasso, Abbott Elementary, Maisel, Barry, Atlanta, Insecure. I mean, a lot wow. of these, a lot of these beloved shows, and not everybody's going to get attention here. I mean, what are the names that really stand out to you with this category? Yeah, I mean, Hannah Waddingham, Ted Lasso, one last time, easy lock in. After that, yep. though, 
Kate McKinnon probably safe as the last spot, but so. like kind of a lame non. Like she's not going to win, so like kind of why yeah. bother? She's won it a bunch of times already. Kind of feels weird, you know. Uh, I, I'd really be uh, I would rooting say she's for safe. Yeah, I think so. Definitely rooting for Hannah Einbinder with Hacks. I don't remember. Did she get nominated last year? Because Dean Smart got nominated and won last year. Did Einbinder also get nominated? I don't remember. I don't but think so. Definitely should. I don't think she did. You know, Alex Borgstein won before with Maisel. He's not as exciting. a big season this year. Yeah, but I, that's probably getting in there. I don't know. Like, I, I don't need two Ted Lasso nominations here. I don't need Juno Temple in this at all. I'd love Sarah Goldberg with Barry or some Abbott recognition. You know, Yvonne Orgy, I believe she got insecure noms back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. That'd be cool. You know, but at the end of the day, though, comedy's definitely not as deep as drama limited series just the way it is it's deeper than it was um last year where there was really very few things to pick from um oh we should note uh, zazie beats back in the mix with atlanta of course and in in a sense you know it's a different atlanta season different different vibe for sure um would kind of be a different type of nomination honestly yeah i i just don't think zazie really had the moments i mean i guess like it would be the last episode and yeah. that one where she goes to see Tupac on his deathbed um, are really the two episodes that stand out for her. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think when I, I look through this list, like Yvonne Orji stands out last season of uh, Insecure, so I could see them getting some, some love or recognition here. Um, this is for last season of Barry, not this most recent season, yeah. right? Or is this for this most recent season? Uh, no, that that is for this season, yeah. Maybe Sarah Goldberg, you know, it'd be funny for her to get this uh, this nomination because I don't find her performance very funny, <laughs> but I, I, no. I think she had some really, really great moments, and I thought she really did a great job with that character this season. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, Waddingham, probably McKinnon, and then I, I would see, I could see Borstein too. I mean, Maisel is always beloved, and she had a great season, so I would say those three are my top three, and then probably awards you be the one I really want to see get in there. So right. uh, let's move into the supporting actor category for comedy. Um, a lot of names here. You mentioned Bowen Yang is probably safe. I would guess probably Brian Tyree Henry going to get the nomination for Atlanta in here. You he think? fucking should. <laughs> you yeah. know, for sure. Best performance uh, it, uh, of to pick from, you know, I think mean, the safest of course is Brett Goldstein from Ted Lasso. Right. Remember last year, there was so many, so much, so few things to pick from. There were so many Ted Lasso acting nominations. I don't think that's going to be the case this time around. You know, Nick Muhammad probably not going to get in again. Um, everyone else, uh, Brendan Hunt as well, probably not. You know, I think a dark horse pick, which would be awesome, Carl Clemens Hopkins from Hacks. Mm. Don't think that's safe at all, but it'd be a nice pick as well. And then you kind of have the reliable people that have been nominated recently for past Shaloub. seasons, Henry Winkler and Tony uh, Shaloub. Yeah, I think Shaloub and Winkler will probably get picked. Put Tyree Henry in there. Like you mentioned, Bo and Yang. Yeah, really that like last spot. Really for grabs. The threat of Keenan. Oh, man, <laughs> if they do Keenan and Bo and Yang, oh no. Well, let's move on to um, leading actress in a uh, oh, comedy oh, one, one last note. Uh, he he previously I think won for guest actor. Now he's actually a full on supporting actor. Wouldn't be mad at Luke Kirby, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, because thank you for bringing he, that up. He had his best season by far, and it was so satisfying. So I, I, would, I, I wouldn't mind that at all. Yeah, but he gets that like that moment at the end where he's like, 
you know, gets to kind of give her the talking to. That would be the Emmy clip right there for sure. Yeah. Or his stand-up. He, I mean, he was great doing the stand-up too. Oh yeah. Um, all right. So leading actress, I mean, I, I would say Issa Rae probably will get recognized. I, at least I feel like they're going to want to give Insecure some love. And Issa is just really beloved. I mean, after that, looking through Tracy Ellis Ross for Blackish usually is pretty safe. Uh, the the returners, Gene Smart and Rachel Brosnahan, who both have won this before. Um, that last spot for me, I don't know, it's tough. I, I would probably say Quinta Brunson, Quinta Brunson for, for Abbott Elementary. Elementary. It's gotten a lot of love. Probably one of the most broadly known comedies. I could see them probably wanting to get something yeah. a little more well-known in there. Yeah, I definitely root for that. I think you got to recognize the new, new stuff that's good when it's here. You know, um, which will probably ease out or edge out like Kaylee Cuoco, flight attendant, which was there last time. We'll do the less things to pick from. Also, Natasha Leone, Russian Doll season two in the mix. You know, she was still just as good as ever yeah. as that lead character in Russian Doll. So that'd be kind of cool. That's kind of a off the beaten path pick, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not rooting for like Selena Gomez in Only Murders in the Building or anything like that, you know. Yeah, I wonder if only mergers, I mean... This is season one, by the way, for that. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to get shut out or not. Maybe it'll get a, a series nom. I, I think probably the last spot there, I'd, I'd be worried about this, but Lily Tomlin, you know, possibly for Grace and Frankie getting right. that nomination. She's gotten nominated in the past. I, I think that's her last season, too. Yep. Yeah, it is. So I can see that getting some love. We'll see. It feels like there's some old timers and some new some new blood in here that are kind of always fighting for these spots. All right, so uh, leading actor in comedy, um, Hater gonna get nominated. Sudeikis gonna get nominated. I mean, is this where Only Murders get, gets recognized? You think both Martins, Steve Martin, Martin Short, both of them? Ah. I mean, I guess you can't really like move one, like pick one over the other. I'd say, but like. Right. I, I don't even really want either one of them to get not, that. Not that either of them needs like recognition in the yeah. <laughs> at this stage of their careers. To be fair, um, of course, Donald Glover <laughs> back after being gone, very popular uh, when he is around. Anthony Anderson's been nominated many times in this category. In terms of like, newcomers, there's not a whole lot. Um, you know, honestly, John Cena and Peacemaker would would probably be Ooh. my favorite superhero acting performance i i thought he nailed the comedy he was asked to do in, in peacemaker to be honest so i don't think it's gonna happen and of course the the best comedians in this category are the people on what we do in the shadows uh, oh, matt yeah. barry and Kayvon novak either one would be super deserving but it doesn't seem like that's too likely yeah i mean you you also think blackish always gets nominated so if sudeikis hater and anderson are like surefire three after that it's like how do you pick any of these guys to fill in i mean we didn't even mention righteous gemstones but danny mcbride oh, God, would right. be great you know for that um yeah. yeah i would love to see someone from uh what we do in the shadows and maybe one of the gemstones people to get enough, a little but... dickies up for this i didn't realize that. oh yeah i don't Dave think Bird it's real new. <laughs> but definitely definitely like uh an interesting show to check out and I, that brings us to the uh, best comedy category. And I feel like Abbott Elementary is probably safe. Um, yeah. Barry, Ted Lasso, Hacks, obviously. Ted Lasso, Maisel. 
I mean, it's really like, what are the shows that are going to surprise us in this category? Because you have Atlanta's probably going to get nominated too. Only Murder seems pretty safe. Yep. So then what are the ones that are either not going to make it or going to sneak in there? So you have What We Do in the Shadows, and you kind of have like the critics pick, the real ones pick, Reservation Dogs on FX. That seems like the one to sneak in there. But I don't know if there's a whole lot of like real push for like, you know, the after party or our flag means death on HBO Max, those kind of shows. Right. Cobra Kai, probably not. Insecure's final season is in the mix here. Right to yeah, that would be my Stones, pick. You know. Don't know. I, I mean, I, I would love them to kind of like switch up what kind of comedies they pick from. In a sense, it's a bit of a range, right? Because you have Barry, which is barely a comedy. Atlanta, which is unidentifiable. What We Do in the Shadows, yeah. which is very funny, but very typical. Only Murders is a bit different, you know, for yeah. comedy, but more traditional. So in a sense, it's kind of a rich category where there's a bit of a variety of the type of comedy being represented here. So I guess you can't be too mad about it. Yeah. Uh, I really hope that they lean into the comedy. I'd love to see what we do in the shadows get the nomination. I would also like to see um, Insecure get the nomination for its last season. Uh, and just like that is, is one that kind of keeps popping up as a contender here. I haven't seen it, but mm. I don't know. I, I really hope it doesn't get the nom. So we'll <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, I mean, there's so many of these shows that we really love. I just want to see them all get recognized. Obviously, shows I don't watch are going to get recognized, but Man, I, I would hate to see what we do in the shadows or um, yeah. insecure not get recognized. But all right, we're moving on to the uh, the drama categories. We're going to start with uh, supporting actress in a drama series. I mean, Julia Gardner feels uh, like the safest bet ever for this category. I'd right. say Ozark. Uh, really yeah, I, I, yeah, I think this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, Julia Gardner. Sarah Snook, Succession, safe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ho Yen from Squid Game, it's pretty safe. Mm-hmm. You know, she was getting nominations for the Globes last time. You know, then from there is where I think it gets interesting. Like I saw some people saying like J. Smith Cameron from Succession, which feels like that that'd be that'd be quite the pick if that actually happened. That'd be like a huge Succession wave. Um, yeah, there'd be riots if Reese Seahorn doesn't get nominated for the final <laughs> season of Better Call Saul after not being nominated at any point thus get far. Pitchforks ready for real. Uh, then you have like the Yellow Jackets people, Christina Ricci. You have all the other Euphoria supporting I people: know. Sydney Sweeney, Alexa Demi, Maude Apatow. Make a case yeah. for any of them. Um, yeah. You know, and I haven't seen even Severance, but Patricia Arquette. At the end, Pachinko. You have a. Uh, 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 Yoon Young Jung, who won an Oscar two years ago for Minari, like, and if, and someone who probably has no chance at all, Millie Bobby Brown. Man, that's insane. Th- this category is so stacked, and we, I mean, we didn't even like mention Bridgerton, um, The Morning Show, which mm-hmm. for as many problems that show has, always gets recognized. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think Yellow Jackets is a pretty beloved show. So I think Christina Ricci probably going to get that nom. Oof. I mean, this is really tough. I don't, uh, if you had to pick five, you know, Julia Gardner, young, uh, Ho Yun. Yep. Sarah Snook for sure. Sarah Snook. Yeah. Those last two, I guess I'd probably go Sydney Sweeney. So I want Seahorn there. And then I would love to pick one of the euphoria girls for sure. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd go. I'd probably go. Oh, you go Sandy Sweeney here? No, I'd probably go Maud. Yeah, I think it is Maud. It's not the. It's, Maud. It, it's not the best Alexa Demi season. She's not in it quite as much, so you probably can't yeah. go her. Yeah, it might be Maud, right? I think it's got to be. Oh, man, this is so tough. Probably not going to happen, though. Yeah, because then, then you look, and Pachinko is just such a master class, and you have a literal uh, Academy Award winner that you're just like, no, your performance is not as good as these other ones. Like, what? It's, that's insane. I don't know. Uh, stacked stacked drama series ca- uh, categories this season, and that mm-hmm. continues, in my opinion, with uh, Best Actor, or Supporting Actor, sorry, in a drama series. I mean... Why don't we just get the succession one out of the way? Who's going to be the succession nom here? Kieran Culkin, I think. Yeah, pretty safely, I'd say. But Matthew McFadden and Nick Braun are also in the mix, I think. (laughs) I mean, Uh, Nick was brought in the finale, that one scene alone, where it's like, uh, souls are boring, you know? (laughs) I say run it up. And then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and then I would say, I I think Squid Game probably going to have a big night. Um, Oh Young Sue, yes, maybe, yeah, I'd the, say. the old man in Squid Game. Yeah, I think he's probably pretty safe. I, I think if Winning Time is going to get recognized, Quincy Isaiah has a pretty good shot, right? Yeah, you right? know, I think, I think Winning Time. I think everyone is being run in, in supporting. I don't, I don't recall. Uh, maybe John C. Rowe is in lead. Okay, yeah, so I think he's got to be lead. Honestly, yeah, Quincy Isaiah is the pick for supporting for sure. The funny pick is to do Jason Clark, just to continue to piss off Jerry West. <laughs> oh man, if they did that, uh, oh. even if they just like fake nominated him, like, and then they were like, no, right. we're just kidding. It's actually that, which would be shitty, but that'd be I, I would say um, Giancarlo Esposito and Jonathan Banks are kind of boring picks for Saul. They've been nominated for playing these characters before. I feel like you don't need to do it again here. Um, Eric Dane, Euphoria, bit atypical, but a thought. Um, that'd be a that'd be a call. Oh, yeah, man, it I feels mean, like Severance can get some love here, right? right. Tutoro, probably. Yep, I think so. I mean, Crudup has been nominated, or did he win? I don't even remember he's, he for won. Morning Show. He did he win. Won. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't see him getting nominated. Again. Not again, right? I, I guess I didn't see the season. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, this actually might be where we get to successions. I could see Culkin and McFadden getting this honestly. oh you know, you know you know what the pick is for saul here it's not banks or esposito it's michael mando as nacho yeah. i think that would be really inspired yeah. to be honest uh, tony great. doll on the pick was probably last season not so much this season what we've seen so far michael mando would be pretty awesome that would be great yeah i think we probably get two successions i'd put my money on colkin and mcfaden and then you know you get uh oh young sue quincy isaiah and then you know fill in that fifth spot with I, also, shout out um, Gil Birmingham and Yellowstone. Like I, everyone loves Gil Birmingham, yeah. who's awesome under the banner of heaven. Uh, he's very popular on Yellowstone too. That'd be a pretty inspired pick for a show that's both well liked and watched a ton. Definitely. Why don't we uh, move on to best actress in a drama series? Zendaya, just pencil her in or put her in pen, marker, sharpie, whatever. She's getting the nom. Mm-hmm. You know, there's actually a lot of shows in, on this list I've written down I haven't seen. So this, this makes it hard. Right. Uh, Carrie Coon with Gilded Age? Maybe? <laughs> I don't know. We didn't finish that one. Yeah. I mean, Lord Lenny's been here before to Ozark. It's the final season, probably. Right. 
there and could upset Zendaya, you know. Then and have is Eve gonna get some love here? Jodie Comer again? Man. Maybe Sandro again. I don't know. Probably bet against that. Um yeah. I mean that's we talked about Socrata, but I mean, is Jennifer Aniston gonna get in here again for the morning show? Yeah. In terms of yellow jackets, Melanie Linsky feels pretty pretty safe here. But it's kinda of interesting one where it's like these are all like well liked actors and well liked performances, but I don't know if any of these performances like really like rose up for this nomination to join Zendaya and Laura no. Lenny. It's kind of I a mean, kind of interesting category. You you would get really shitty odds, but to bet on anyone but Zendaya winning this is like is stupid. So just basically pencil in Zendaya or put her down in pen your sheet and then Laura Lenny probably too. I guess we'll probably get some Yellow Jackets love. Maybe Elizabeth Moss or Carrie Coon gets in there just for the the track record of them winning other categories. You know? This is us final season, Mandy Moore. I don't maybe. Oh yeah, good call. I can see that definitely happening. Um, yeah, that that that's actually a good observation. I don't. I feel like these are all like great actresses who these perform these specific performances beyond Zendaya really weren't uh weren't their their best so um all right best actor in a drama series there's this one actually might be pretty locked down top five yeah you know succession brian cox jeremy strong squid game uh jung jay lee ozark final season jason bateman and better call saul final season bob odenkirk like so you said odenkirk cox bateman jeremy strong and who uh, else? Lee Jung Jae from Squid Game, the lead of Squid Game. Yeah. Man, is really Sterling K. Brown going to get shut out in the last year of This Is Us? Yeah. I mean, he got him in the past. You know, I mean, that also leaves no John C. Riley. That leaves no Kevin Costner from Yellowstone. No <laughs> Adam Scott from Severance. Yeah. That's tough. And Lee Min Ho, our guy. Just. Yeah. Pachinko. Love that. Out. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that's. I mean,. I guess yeah, I agree you, ta- you. you take out Bateman because that Ozark season is not particularly well liked. Mm-hmm. Um, the final season, so he's been nominated before. Take him out, but like I feel like the other four are pretty unimpeachable. Cox, yeah, I agree. Lee Strong, Owen Kirk. Succession, I think, is probably set in a big night. Yeah, honestly. I feel like uh, so Strong won last time. Succession was up, right? I feel like this mm, is yeah. the Cox season. I mean, he was really great this past season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, the they world. all are on that show. Um. All right. So then, best drama, we have. I, th- I think you can nominate what eight for this category. Right. Yeah. It's uh, a bit. Um. It's a bit of a range. You don't know exactly how many you're going to get through. Yeah. So I. Th- I think like Saul, Euphoria, Succession, This Is Us, Yellow Jackets, Squid Game. Those ones feel pretty safe. This is actually <laughs> that last spot. I find this fun because it's variety of network slash streamer. Like HBO is all yeah. behind Succession here and probably Euphoria. Netflix yeah. has Squid Game and Ozark's final season. Better Call Saul's AMC, Yellowstone's Power Paramount, Severance's Apple, Yellow Jackets is Showtime, and then probably not in the mix, but Stranger Things is also Netflix, Pachinko's Apple. Like, I like how it's spread out, you know? Winning time, sure. I love winning time to get in here. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Big fan Tokyo Vice, no chance. So, it's a lot of heavy hitters, though. You know? I could see Yellowstone getting in there yeah. for that last spot. Honestly, I'm rooting for it. Like, I feel like you got to 
recognizes different different things. And I think Yellowstone probably is more necessary here than say like Stranger Things is. I'm curious to see if Euphoria does get through though. You know, like what if they only nominate like seven Euphoria is just not there or something. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, there's just so many sh- beloved and good shows here. Like to not use every possible nomination feels silly. Um, yeah, you know, if, if one of the Apple TV shows gets through, I I hope it's Pachinko, just because I think that is an amazing uh, season of television. But Severance is the the bigger, uh, more well known one. So right. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I think those seven, you know, that we we mentioned, Saul. Um, yeah, Yellow Jackets, This Is Us, Succession, Squid Game, and then probably Euphoria and yep. Ozark feel fairly safe. So right. we'll see. As Dave said, nominations are coming out soon. So drop below what you think deserves to be nominated or what your predictions are yourself, what you want to see, what you don't. Let us know your reactions. We'll also be doing our own reactions once they come out. Dave, any last thoughts, though, on these nominations? Let us know who you want to see. Like you said, uh we're not going to get what we want. It's just a matter of yeah. uh, whether there's any quibbles to pick with what does get nominated. And usually they do a pretty good job because it's so hard. So can't be too mad overall. Absolutely. That wraps it up there for us this week, though. What do we got for next week, Dave? Yeah, next week we'll talk about these Emmy noms once we know who's been nominated. Then we have new music from Burna Boy, Brent Fias, the conclusion of The Boys Season 3, the return of Better Call Saul's final season, and... Uh, Marvel's return to the big screen, Thor, Love, and Thunder. A lot of good stuff there. Uh, subscribe, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Follow our best Nostalgia Best of 2022 on Spotify. And follow us on any podcasting platform you prefer. Catch you next week. Yeah.